the internet, you're busy, so let's do this. Welcome to the Game Speed Designs Podcast. This is the podcast where we decide everything about the world of games so you don't have to. I'm your host, Jeffrey Krupp. With me is Mike Manotti. I'm not the host, but I'm here too. Mike, why are you here? You're not allowed to be here. You tell me to come. I don't know. I, I do that. It's a, it's a, it's an April Fool's prank. Oh, can Mike. I Isn't it a good one? Can isn't I it a good in? That'd be is, great. I got isn't it good? You know, you don't get your Monday afternoons back. I don't give. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if it's an inconvenience for you. <laughs> this is what we're doing now. Uh, uh, today's episode, we're we're talking about the news. We're going to change up the format just a little bit. Uh, we're going to have more Persona Five. I want to hear Mike's sort of final thoughts before we move on from that game. And we're going to do some edutainment. I'm actually sitting in my wife's classroom right now. Um, All right. And we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, when we get into it. But first. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, you can get more from Mike and me at gamesbeat.com. If you have something to share with us, email the podcast at gamespluspodcastadventurebeat.com. And if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube uh, after we put it up, we're recording this one, not doing it live. Uh, you can subscribe to the audio version on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Finally, if you like the show, do that five-star iTunes thing. It helps people find it. So Mike, uh, yeah, I'm 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 sleepier than I was that one week uh, I came back after my parental leave uh, because my wife is about to go back to work after having a bunch of months off, and um, and I'm sitting in her classroom helping her get ready. We have the baby with us. I'm I'm very sleepy, and I just want to go back to bed. I'm tired because WrestleMania felt like it went on forever last night. If I'm being honest, that's the reason why I'm so tired too. That was uh, well, it was like 17 hours of wrestling, right? It felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> it never, it never ended. I actually, okay. The truth is, it was really long. And um, after the John John Cena fight, I think, or no, no, after the Goldberg uh, Lesnar fight, I turned it off, thinking it was over. And then I'm like, oh wait, it's still going. And I had to get you like forgot about the Undertaker. Yeah, I did. I, I totally did. I had to like go load it back up and everything. Um, yeah, that was a that was a, it was too much wrestling. And it now there's like two more days of it like coming up. Like uh, it's, it like started at like. Five thirty. Like, I didn't start watching till like six thirty, and it was already it was still the pre-show then. Mm-hmm. But God, yeah, I got it in like fifteen minutes after like the actual show started. At, yeah, like, WrestleMania uh, used to be you know from seven to eleven. That was four hours. That was that was pretty good. Now it's now it really is like seven hours if you include it's the like pre-show. Six and a half, seven. I was like, come on. It's like I don't. I'm not watching Raw today. I'm like, no, that's enough wrestling for. No, I know, and and like, not only is it like now they're like really like roping in SmackDown into it on Tuesday. Like they're making that a part of like the travel package. So like yeah. in years past, people would like go to these events and they'd stay through Monday to go to to go to Raw. And now this year, you stay till Tuesday and go to SmackDown as as well. And I'm just right. like, by the end of all of that, you're probably not a wrestling fan anymore. You're like, nope. <laughs> I've had it all. I've done all the wrestling. Yeah, I can't imagine being at that. I mean, going to WrestleMania, I went to WrestleMania 23, 10 years ago in, in Detroit. And it was different then, right? They didn't have like a whole week of event right. planned. They didn't have acts. They had a Hall of Fame. We didn't do that. But it was just, there was a Hall of Fame. They had the premiere of Stone Cold Steve Austin's movie, the uh, uh, something with a C. I forget. It was basically Death Race, but without yeah. cars. <laughs> Marine Five or whatever. Yeah, it was basically the Hunger Games about kids, like before the Hunger Games was <laughs> thing. Honestly, it was kind of funny, but uh, but so, but yeah, it wasn't like that. But yeah, I don't know. It was just it was it was long and honestly not all that exciting. But hey. yeah, uh, but, but this isn't the wrestling podcast, is it? No, I mean it could be, but we're not going to let it turn into that. It the reason the reason we're talking about that is so we're tired is what what we're trying to get yeah, to. Yeah, it's, it was it was long. Yeah. Um. So uh, I I'm kind of. 
also like running out of uh, like energy to play games right now. I, I was very much into Zelda. I did the Mass Effect review, um, and now I'm just like I'm so tight. Yeah, I know. I, like that's been, like been a few weeks now, um, but I'm like trying to figure out what I want to play next and put time into. I've, I'm starting like some like smaller games, uh, old time hockey and. Uh, what is this ukulele? I've been playing that a little bit here and there. Uh, I'll tell you what, ukulele is kind of it's very pretty in 4K on my PC. Uh, it oh, yeah. does, it does, yeah, it is. It's really pretty. Um, and it is Banjo Kazooie, but you forget like what like that means. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> like, uh, I'll just give a quick example. Like, I go to this one guy to do this one mission. And he's like, hey, you don't have the move to do this yet. So I had to like go talk to this trouser snake character who like sells you moves. And uh, I, it's the butt stomp. And I got the butt stomp and I, you know, bash these rocks and it creates sunlight down into the room where the, the first guy was that was going to give me the mission. And I go down there uh, after doing that. And he's like, oh, no, now you don't have this other move. And I'm like, OK, what's what's happening? I have to like keep unlocking these moves for hours and hours. And I'm going to end up going to all these places that I'm going to forget about and never come back to or or just kind of get bored of. Uh so it's kind of like a really weird backwards progression system that I wish they wouldn't have brought with it. Like if they would have just given you all the moves up front, that would have been way better. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually, I mean, I played Banjo-Kazooie back when it came out, but I only just beat it when that rare replay came out. It was like the first time I played through huh. it. What do you think of it playing it? So, I liked it so still. Like, yeah, when it's I was a still kid, a good game. It's still a good game. When I was a kid, I was like, I don't know. I thought I I get I thought I was real smart. Like they're not <laughs> fooling me. This is just Mario sixty four. Mario sixty four <laughs> better. And Mario sixty four is better. But yes. like, uh, yeah, like some people like are really into like Banjo Kazooie. Really, like, there's they, there's some really charm. great yeah. There's some really great parts of Banjo Kazooie. It was like, it was really long for the time. I remember taking like thirty hours to beat it when I was a kid um, on N sixty four. And I really liked that. That was really cool. But um. It, it, I just there's some elements of it that they should not have brought forth uh, in their in their spiritual successor that they did. Uh, that's kind of really putting an obstacle in front of me to really enjoy the game. Yeah. That's, my thing is like I really want to play this game on Switch, and I know that version's been yeah. delayed. Yeah, I know. I and that's like the the big bummer here. It's like while it looks great in 4K, I would definitely have an easier time playing this game if it was on, on the Switch. Like for uh, like for example, I'm playing Snake Pass uh, on the Switch and I'm really liking that. Uh, that's a that's a really interesting cool game and it's even better cuz I'm just playing it everywhere. I'm playing it in bed every night and stuff like that. But um yeah, trying to figure out what game I really want to get into. It's kind of it's kind of hard. I don't want to be like this, but it's like uh nothing Zelda. Nothing. nothing you know Zelda. what you know what the second best reviewed game of the year is that maybe you can get into. Yeah, that Persona Five, and Persona Five. You, we're we're definitely going to talk about that when uh, in the second half of our show. But All Mike, right. we're we're doing a new first half of the show. We're okay. going to start doing some news, some headlines, and stuff. Uh, you and I both write a lot of news, so I figure we. Oh, should probably... this is like when it's like when Luke Smith would talk about the news at the beginning of One Up Yours. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so you're you or could be they Luke do that Smith at the end. I don't even remember now. I think they did it at the end. Although I always felt like every podcast should always do it at the beginning because then you don't have to be like, no, save that for the news section. So we're doing oh, it at yeah. the beginning. That's uh, that was my reasoning. So uh, right. I guess you know, let's just jump into. It. I got uh, like about six or seven headlines here. We'll, we'll see if we even get to all of them. But uh, we'll start right here at the top. Uh, like I think probably the biggest story: Destiny Two confirmed, even though it was leaked and we kind of knew it was happening. Uh, but it's confirmed for the PC, and I think that's kind of the like the bigger headline to take out here is that. After the first game was only Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and then Xbox One and PlayStation 4, uh, the new one is now coming to the PC. Um, do you think that 
Do you think that is going to make a difference for this game? Like, do you think that audience um, is going to be like the thing that helps Destiny Two achieve its ten-year plan? Without crossplay, at least for me, it doesn't really mean anything. Because my yeah. biggest issue with Destiny One is just not having enough friends to play it with, and not having a motivation to just like play raid style content with strangers. You know? Yeah, for real. So. The idea of it being, if it was like cross-play between one of the consoles, like I, you know, I don't expect Xbox and PlayStation to be cross-play. If it was like one of the consoles and PC, it would like make it easier to kind of get that stuff organized. Yeah, um, I, I, I would definitely play it on the PC if I knew uh, the people that I would want to play with were going to be on PC. Otherwise, it just seems like such a, uh, it's a risk because like so many people have already chosen their platform. They're probably on you know PS4 or Xbox One, and they're going to stick with that. So yeah, and and, th- and that's the game. You're not gonna have. You're not gonna get the most out of it, especially if it's like the first one. You're not gonna get the most out of it if you're playing by yourself on you know a system no. isolated yeah. from your friends. Like like these kind of uh, co-op or multiplayer games like this that are on multiple platforms. Uh, not bully isn't the word, but I'm like you know bullied into playing on whatever platform the other people are playing on. And part of that is because I don't care too much if it's like yeah if it's like overwatch like overwatch is something like no i'm playing this on pc if it means yeah, i'm not I, playing with you guys then that's fine. a good example it's a of a game team-based where I shooter would... i need to aim with a mouse like this game's a shooter but it's a co-op shooter for the most part right yeah and it's even it's pvp stuff is that kind of halo thing where i'm like okay whatever i can play controller for this because i'm not right. going to be taking it all that seriously so it's fine yeah, I'm sort so, of justifying it in my head. It's like, oh, it's a bungee game. I can. That's definitely a controller developer. I can. I'll be fine with that. But yeah, I think Overwatch is one of those examples where it's like, yeah, I'm. I'm I am choosing my platform. I'm sticking with it. Um, I, I, I. But yeah, I. I don't know. Uh, like you said, I don't care either. Uh, really, what platform I'm going to end up with a game like this? But I still feel like. In the end, people are going to get split now, even between one more platform. Uh, that's kind of the thing. Like, is this really? Is this? including more people into it or is it just splitting them up more is it like right i, opening I think it's up could, it could do the better pc players or mm-hmm. i don't know and i i do think there's a like a uh, there's a potential reality where down the line the pc crowd is the t- is the crowd that's the most into destiny uh i think they'll have to cultivate that and make sure they don't you know screw anything up and they really play to that crowd you know properly and give them all the things that that crowd usually demands which you know dedicated servers for online competitive multiplayer things like that uh, that aren't guaranteed but there is a there's a reality where that audience is the most dedicated but I, I I think for the destiny crowd that already exists I I do think there's a potential there where it is going to split them up even more uh, where people are like oh finally I get to play this on my favorite platform uh, and they don't even think about none of, they don't think about the fact that none of their friends are coming with them so so yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I'm glad they're doing it. It's better than not having PC, but it does just present problems where, like, who knows how what, what the future of Destiny Two and then Destiny Two Beyond uh, really is. Speaking of Destiny Two Beyond, here's here's my kind of prediction: is that there will not be a Destiny Three, and I do not necessarily just mean like, oh, because they're going to keep releasing content for Destiny Two. No, I think Destiny Two will get its two years, kind of like Destiny One did, and then I think Bungie is gonna move on. What, why do you think that? Because I, I always get the sense that Destiny is like this huge thing. Like like people are – like so many people are so crazy about it and they love it so much and they play are it they? nonstop. I mean I always get the sense of that. Like I've never felt that way. I played the game I in like alpha and beta and bounced right off it. It was not for me at all. Uh, even if I did have people I was playing with, I'm just like this is not yeah, how so I want to spend my time. I mean, I'm but, not talking about the – quality of the game at all and i think you know they did a good job making no it but it seems like that... there's a ton of people that are like like this is their game 
Like this is their I world of war. I don't think there are a ton of people. I think there are a decent amount. I mean, it it launched really strong, and then mm-hmm. you know it kind of it lost steam and got some players back with the Tiki King. I don't think, and I mean, I got a sense that not a lot of people were playing that last expansion, uh, Heart no, of Iron, think, or whatever it was called. I think you're right, right? but it, it maybe it's in this weird in between state where, and this could be a problem for Bungie and Activision, where it, like. Bungie is sort of handcuffed to it because there's just enough people who are just engaged and dedicated enough to where they are like super hardcore and and Destiny is their like one and only game that they the only thing they want to play and there's just enough that like Activision's like no you have to keep making Destiny and Bungie's going to start feeling real an- anxious and real antsy to get move on to something else that could be a a, a sort of like doomsday scenario for the, like that situation and that developer. Cause I know I, that's something they don't want to be stuck doing. If it's a game that, that isn't like one of the biggest in the world. I just see a destiny Two kind of having a similar fate as like a lot of these like twos lately, like the watchdog two and the Titanfall two and hmm. uh, Dishonored two. Right. Or it's just like a lot of these franchises, they kind of, they came out of these, the first game and it's like people were into it. And there just doesn't seem to be that excitement when the second one comes out. Like, usually it's like you build, right? Like, Halo 2 sold much better than Halo 1 or, or what have you, but I don't know. That building hasn't been happening with a lot of games recently. I do think they're. I, do, I think Destiny 2 probably will buck the trend, and it will be the game that builds. Uh, I I, although so. I, we'll see, I yeah, I, I, I want to see, I, and I'm I'm not like oh, Mike's wrong about this one. I'm, this sure. is not this is not one of those situations where I feel that way. I just think that it probably will bucket, and it is the game that is going to build. Uh, but maybe that's just conventional wisdom that is outdated, and maybe maybe you're right. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, comes out in September. We'll know by the end of this year kind of where that game stands, just like we did with like Titanfall two and Watch Dogs two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be interesting. So, uh, second story is, and th- this is like kind of the, the polar opposite of Destiny 2, Club, <laughs> Club Penguin is now closed. Now, this is this old Disney, uh, like, online gaming portal uh, that was, it's been around for like forever, 2004 or something like that. Um, it was, you know, it's this place where kids could go play games that were safe. Uh, and, yeah, and a lot of people grew up on it, and now it's it's, it's shut down, it's gone. Um I, Mike, I know you wrote a little bit about this, right? Yeah, yeah, I wrote a bit about it. I talked to them a bit. We we even had, um, I think it was at Games Beat last year, we had a, kind of a, a Club Penguin guy from Disney, or somebody from Disney who was associated with it, talk about Club Penguin for a, a little bit. That I kind of just watched as actually a Club Penguin community member, like kind of got some free time with him and interviewed him himself about Club Penguin. So this game like has a following, right? Right, that really dedicated audience, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think me and you were both a little old for it when it happened, right? Yeah, I was kind of aware of it. I think uh, like John Davison, who's at uh, Rolling Stone now running Glixel, I think he was doing like what they play back when Club Penguin was sort of hitting its stride. And that was like a website where like uh, – uh, you know, people who were really familiar with video games would describe them and tell families if games were okay for, the, for like young children and things like that. Um and Club Penguin was one of those things where he, he was trying to make sure everyone under fully understood that, like, you know, you know, older family people so they could, you know, help younger kids, you know, guide guide them through that. Uh, and so I was aware of it. And I tried like some of like the, the spinoff DS games, I think, at the time. I just like mm-hmm. popped them, played in, played them for a few hours. But, yeah, I was too old for it when it came out to really get into it to the point where I was not aware uh, not fully aware, at least, that there was this huge audience of people that really, really love it and have a deep affinity for it. Right, and there, it's kind of this challenging thing now because it's Club Penguin. I mean, it lasted forever, but it really, you know, it was still a Flash game running on a browser. It was just mm-hmm. like this kind of 
archaic thing and they're they're now like okay we're gonna make like a sequel and it's gonna be on phones like where this kind of stuff is now but just you know that it's still a big change and they're still gonna be kind of resistant uh fans but and there's also not much it's not like a no we'll keep old club penguin open for you no they closed it so mm-hmm. it's either a move on or get out yeah and it was uh I, I watched some people on twitter sharing some images of it closing down and it was you know it, it was like an mmo shutting down it was all these penguins sitting in this in this square uh all spamming emo- emojis and different things like you know pink like penguin on or whatever the hell the thing was um and it was it yeah it was one of those things where it's like oh this is a magical moment one of these once every two or three years where a major life-altering game for some people is shutting down and and they're never going to get this back like the like 99.99 percent of these people are never going to touch this game again and that 0.01 percent is just going to touch it in a very uh like a a, a hacked together state where someone put together their own server to run the original right. game or something like that. So like for, they're losing this huge thing that was a part of their development. Um, and to kind of see that it's like, Oh yeah, they're, they're, this still happens in gaming a lot. And, and you, you know, even though I'm, I make my living doing this stuff, I'm not a part of a lot of it. And so it was just kind of a reminder of how varied and diverse uh, fandom can be in gaming. So it was a very interesting thing to see. I always wonder, like, if, like, there's there some day where 20 years from now, there's, like, all right, we're shutting down World of Warcraft. What yeah, would that look like? God, that that would be a cultural event uh, that I think would – see, I think it would be so big that they wouldn't – they'd be, like, like it could never happen because – because it, it it's World of Warcraft. I mean, if you said you were going to shut it down, it would be like killing off Superman. Where it's like, no, you're not really. It's going to come back, right? Because so many people are going to get nostalgic and want to come back and play it. Just if you say those words. Um, right. So yeah, yeah, I don't it's know. Hard to, it's hard to imagine just not there being some state where they do like a super server merge and there's one server at least and right. something like that. You know, even if they don't support it anymore, it's hard to imagine. They're like, yeah, you can't log on to World of Warcraft anymore. Yeah, but I mean, gosh, I mean, hey. Who knows? Thirty years from now, right? Yeah, thirty. It feels like yeah. So, there's a lot of time left in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thirty years seems like the bare minimum that that game could let, like that before that game could get shut down. It feels like maybe like fifty or sixty years, where everyone who grew up playing it when it was, uh, you know, at its height, uh, is finally incapable of using a keyboard and mouse. So yeah. Um. All right. Let's keep this moving. Uh, story number three: Battlefield One introduces premium friends. So this is an idea where people who do not have the premium maps, these um, new DLC maps where, you know, it starts segmenting the user base where you can no longer play with certain groups because they're going to be playing on maps that you don't own. Well, if you are friends with someone who owns those maps, now you can get into them as well um, as long as you're in the party with them. That's uh, I think it's a just a smart idea. It's kind of a necessary one, although I don't think it's as I smart think, as just making the maps all free. Right. right. It's like this weird workaround that you have to do because it's just so stupid to fragment your audience this way. But yeah, it just seems like just just release maps on for free and monetize some other way. Yeah, I, I, is that the thing they just don't want to monetize? You know, cosmetic items. Like I, I don't. I kind of. I mean, like I said, it's a smart idea if you're not going to do that. But it's not as smart as just going the route I that mean, every other game has gone so far, except for Call of Duty. I guess I, I, I get why it's harder to 
do that sort of monetization thing if you're making something like a Battlefield One or a Call of Duty as opposed to Overwatch, right? Yeah. Or even. But I mean, Call of Duty, Call of Duty does have those does cosmetics now. I, I don't know if Battlefield One does, but Call of Duty has had cosmetics that you pay for for the last two or three games at least. Um, but they, you know, they still charge for maps because they can get away with it because it's, it's still so huge right. and, and it's such a huge revenue yeah. source. And Battlefield really get away with it. I mean, they're pretty big, but yeah, like, like, like the Battlefront thing was just horrible, right? Like yeah, the way that was they were really very slowly releasing maps throughout a year, and it was yeah, like, was painful. oh my god, what is? I remember like it was like so much later. They're like, here's this this new map, and I was like, it's just dark. What? <laughs> It's just the same map, but dark. Um, yeah, I don't. I think that might have been the game that like broke it, that made everyone realize how dumb this is, and um, kind of convinced a lot of people that buying these maps was a waste, and convinced everyone else who got left behind to like not even invest in these games in the first place. A lot of times, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Battlefield One is maybe big enough to pull this off. And and it's gonna keep doing it, I guess, with this premium friends thing. Uh, I would hope, though, next time around, they do realize that it's just like make all the maps free. I mean, Titanfall's doing it. I imagine Call of Duty will eventually do it at some point once it reaches a certain threshold on its profit and loss chart or whatever. I mean, Halo did it right, and they were like, mm -hmm. as far yeah. as I can remember, that was the first thing that had the map pack was Halo. Yeah, that, you bought it on a disc back then. Oh my god, yeah. That's, the Halo 2 map pack, remember that? Yeah, that's so weird. I completely forgot right? about that. That is a really weird thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's that. Uh, we'll move on to the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild receives patch that reportedly removes many frame rate, frame rate drops. Now, no. Mike, you, you haven't been back to Zelda? No, I kind of had to move on pretty quickly because I was you know reviewing Persona 5. Right. So, so I, once back. I beat it, I was kind of like, okay, I, gotta play, I can't play this for a while. Right. So I've been back and I tried it after this, uh, this update and I, I didn't know what the update did. I was going to, I'm like, I'll go check uh, for a change log online later. Of course the, the system itself didn't get to like, tell me what was different. Uh, and I started playing the game and I'm like, it does, I'm, I think it might be smoother, but if Nintendo was going to do that, they would make a big deal out of it. Right. They would tell everyone like, Oh, we're going to make the game so much smoother in this next big patch. So I'm like, I'm probably just imagining things. And then I went online the next day and read this. Um, it it it, it makes a big difference. I, I think the only place I still saw slow down on the handheld version uh, was in Korok Forest, and it was just right. when I loaded in there the very first time, and then it went away uh, once I started running around. So they made some huge improvements, and I, it's kind of magical what they did. I, I don't know how they did that it. That is cool because that was one of the few problems the game was the frame rate kind of stuttering at, at points. So it's nice that they can kind of work on that and iron that out. Yeah, and it kind of it's one of those things where it's like, okay, maybe the system uh, isn't holding back games like Zelda. Uh, maybe it was just a matter of they ran out of time optimizing it, and they finally got it done. You know, a few weeks after release, and it gives me a little bit more hope for the future that the system is going to have legs to withstand some yeah. of the games that even third parties third parties might want to throw at it. It is kind of scary to think that. Like I, you, I might be playing Mario Odyssey and anything but sixty frames per second because it's like I yeah I, I can oof. yeah I can't I hope they uh, don't do that I hope they find a way to make that work uh, that will be disappointing if that's the case uh, Mario Kart as well I mean although I, I'll live because I played Mario Kart a ton on Wii U already and this is a new Mario game uh, yeah I hope they nail that. All right, moving right along. Microsoft will use Forza 7, Battlefront 2, and Red Dead Redemption 2 to showcase 4K on Project Scorpio. 
Um, uh, so we we knew all these games were happening. Uh, it, it is nice to see though that these are the uh, these are the games that are going to to be like oh this is how we're going to do full twenty one sixty p resolution on your television in your family room uh, because these are some these are some big games that are already going to be beautiful but n- not necessarily games that I would expect to even run really well in full native four k on a PlayStation four Pro Battlefront two Red Dead Redemption two both seem like you know they're going to be lower resolution and then they're going to fake it with you know temporal aliasing or whatever the hell the, sure. the, the tricks they have um so if microsoft's coming out and saying no red dead redemption 2 is going to run in 4k something that's still like uh, grand theft auto 5 still struggles with a lot of uh, systems running at 4k um that's impressive that's uh, a shot across the bow and saying hey this this system really is going to be that powerful um d- does it get you excited at all about a, a buying a new xbox uh, right. Well, it's interesting, right? Because we won't have a point of comparison for a lot of these games because it's not like we'll be able to know what Red Dead Redemption 2 looks like normally. Same thing with kind of Battlefront 2. Uh, 2. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, for it, sure. yeah, there's, it's, it's definitely interesting with the Scorpio, right? Because it's, you know, we've seen like first a really small upgrade with the Xbox One S, then like the, con- you know, a slightly bigger one with the PlayStation 4 Pro. And like this is like supposed to be the biggest one yet. While still ultimately being that kind of half mid cycle upgrade, yeah, mid cycle console, right? Um, no, no, Dean, it's not a next gen console. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's like I'm not Dean, yeah, right? I, I am curious to see what it looks like, right? And it is kind of this thing, like, all right, am I going to have to be playing all of these games on Scorpio? And it, you know, because I think me and you are in a, this situation where we're probably getting Scorpios, right? We have 4K TVs. Right, you have PlayStation Four Pros, and once you have both of them, if one of them just has you know looks better than the other one, then why not <laughs> just get yeah, everything for, sure. for it? Right? So it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I, I'm glad that Microsoft's taking it seriously, knowing that it has to have the content right there, uh, and it has to have the big games looking great on the system. Um, you know, th- three games is a good start. Hopefully, at E3, it's way more than that. Um, even if these are the marquee titles. Um, but yeah, I, 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 if they could make it, make the case for it, I, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be getting anyhow. And I think a lot of people will be happy to upgrade from their Xbox One S's or Xbox Ones to get this, uh, get the the Scorpio, just because maybe it is time to upgrade to 4K. Maybe it's starting to get closer to that point where that buying that TV makes sense, and Microsoft could time this right in a way that Sony didn't with the PS4 Pro. But we'll see. Okay. Watch Dogs 2 is getting four-player co-op, PvP, and more. I, I brought this up. like This is uh, one of the you know last stories before we move on. Uh, I brought this up because I'm like, hey, what's up with Watch Dogs 2? <laughs> we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. It seems like <laughs> it's not – I think it's even worse than like Dishonored 2 where the, that game got completely forgotten. Um, I think – well, maybe I don't know. Maybe it is worse. I don't know. Watch Dogs 2 – is a game that I don't hear, hear anyone talking about anymore. Ubisoft's going to come out with this new content for free, maybe as a way to jumpstart it to keep people keep it in people's mind, so they can have a better idea of whether whether or not they should do a Watch Dogs three. Um, do, I mean, does any of this stuff sound at all interesting to you? Four player co op, like I, I mean, I can relate and just yeah, I mean, just like the large things. It's it's so weird how just and it seems like it's happened this year and last year where it's like all the exciting games that people talked about for the most part were like in the first half of the year mm-hmm. instead of the second half. 
like most of the, like the games last year people talked about a lot like uncharted 4 doom and uh yeah it was all the overwatch releases yeah yeah and then like this year like so many of the games that people were excited about uh you know, Breath of the Wild, Persona, Neo, Nier, uh, Automata, just right. And yeah, God, yeah. I mean, and meanwhile, like, yeah, you had Dishonored two come out. You had like that new Deus Ex come out that no one talked about. Jeez, yeah, uh, that that might be the game that was the most forgotten right? from last year. Holy crap! I, I still and like it's so weird. Like I liked that that last Deus Ex, the one before it. I was like, oh yeah, I'll play this yeah. new one. Then like the new one came out. And it was just like the most like unenthusiastic. Yeah, it's about an eight out of ten. Yeah, there it is. You know what it is. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, ten's good. I'll play that. And then like I just didn't because I was just like, I'll just play some more Overwatch instead or <laughs> anything else really. Right? I, and yeah, yeah. Watch Dogs two, and I played Watch Dogs two because I reviewed it, and it's like it's the same thing where it's like it's an eight out of ten. It's fu- it's good. It's not just fine. It's like yeah, it's good. It's very competent. It doesn't really have very many noticeable problems, but it's just doing. So many things you've seen before mm-hmm. that it's just it's just not exciting, right? And I know some people say, well, if it's an eight, it that maybe should have been lower. Like you know, we can have that review score debate, but yeah, I don't know. It's just this weird thing. And again, Destiny Two, look out, maybe next one. Who knows? Yeah, I, I mean you, the the number of games this has happened to, I think, makes your Destiny Two argument more sound. Um, does give me more of a pause. Uh, Watch Dogs Two uh, specifically, though. Uh, it makes me wonder if, if Ubisoft Im- has a endemic an endemic problem in the way they make games and the way that they plot out the future of Ubisoft. Where you know, Watch Dogs was supposed to be the big new franchise that took them through this generation, and the way that Assassin's Creed took them through the last one. Um, and you know, they didn't bet all the chips, but they they bet they bet most of them. And now Assassin's Creed Assassin's Creed is in a slump. It took a year off. Um, it might come back and it might be really different and interesting, but it, it, we don't know that yet. And it seems like Ubisoft might be in a situation where this is this is scary and a problem for them because they don't have the replacement for that. And their their revenues depend on having a big yeah. holiday game every year, uh, the size of an Assassin's Creed at its height. And maybe they won't have one of those this year if Assassin's Creed doesn't get people excited. So Yeah, it's kind of difficult. And it's like Ubisoft's interesting because they had – these franchises and they seem to be really good at kind of burning them out and then when they launch games that are good they have like other problems like for honor it's supposed to be a lot of fun right all of its problems are kind of just like maintenance things or like ui things or balance things that like or, you know, like connection issues and stuff like that. I mean, and those things are poison for an online game and apparently for honor was like through march the, uh, or through february so through the first two months of the year the best selling game in the in the united states so far um, you know, and, and some huge games came out in, 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 you know, January and February, but you, you know, we see with like the battlefront fran- battle, uh, battlefield franchise, online issues can poison the franchise over time to the point where it has a negative effect on, on follow-up games. So if Ubisoft can't fix, uh, for, for honor re- relatively quickly, it could get it to a point where for honor two is not going to be the thing they needed to be. Yeah, exactly. And that, but even more like for honor one should be such a like shot in the arm for them because mm-hmm. it's just such a smart game for this climate right now it's mm-hmm. such, such like an easy game for influencers to get into and it's like this kind of competitive thing but kind of fighting game and i mean it's fully competitive i mean but it's just it's competitive without like just being a clone of something else which is sometimes ubisoft's problems that they make right. kind of derivative games or games that like ubisoft games right 
but and it's not an Ubisoft game. It's kind of a different thing, but it's just having different problems. So yeah, Ubisoft is having interesting time, kind of when they're most vulnerable with the whole Vivendi takeover thing looming over them. So yeah, that's and that's like the whole other thing. Like, are, are they in a situation where that's going to be unavoidable just because their stock's going to plummet because of the the situation they are they are in with their games? Um, okay, last story, uh, and I, I didn't play this, but and I'm wondering if you downloaded it for uh, free on April Fool's Day. Sega releases Bayonetta 8-bit on Steam. Did you pick this up? No, no, I didn't. For what I understood, it's not like a side score. It's 8-bit. I think things just come at you, like almost like a reverse shmup, huh. I we- think, like as what I understood about it. Well, it, Whatever it is and however it plays, I think the bigger thing here is why would why why is Sega releasing this? Is this just a hey remember Bayonetta or is this hey remember Bayonetta? Like, are we getting like the Bayonetta games on PC? That, I think I that yeah, I think that's probably happy. I don't think Sega's done with Bayonetta, even though it's weird, right? Because like Bayonetta two probably didn't sell super well. I mean, for for one thing, it was like a mature exclusive game on the Wii U. Right. It was a great game, but I don't think anybody played it. Like, I don't know if that got to even a, a million, right? That'd Probably not. Tough. I mean, I can't imagine, like, mm-hmm. one out of 13 Wii U owners all owning Bayonetta 2 seems like a really steep hill to get over. But, I mean, I mean, given the possibility of that of that franchise coming back on the Switch just in a two-pack with both those games... Um, you know, Sega released this on on Steam, and it just it just to me it signals like, hey, we're doing something with this franchise. Get ready for it. Yeah, um, I think Bayonetta, even if it is April Fool's Day. Yeah, I think Bayonetta one's coming out on Steam soon. And I don't think Bayonetta two might be a little harder because Nintendo published that one, right? So right, exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. So we'll we'll see. I mean, maybe there's a time limit on that, and that'll it'll. You know, it'll that that will lapse, and we will get that game on other platforms. And Bayonetta that Bayonetta two is still very good. Bayonetta shows up in unexpected places like Nintendo system exclusive, but then like in Smash Brothers, and now it's just right. on Steam. Like, all right, there's Bayonetta again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a franchise, a, a, a series of games that really needs that that boost of a bigger audience to finally push it over the top. Because uh, right, it's a good games, but it's just oh, yeah. it's like they it never had the advantages that. Devil May Cry did of like coming out on the PlayStation 2 in its heyday, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for They're sure. They're just immediately establishing that audience. Like, you know, it's not like Devil May Cry is better than Bayonetta. It's just better place, better time. Right. And and therefore more fondly remembered uh, by more people at least. Okay. Um, Mike, that does it for the news. Um, I think that worked pretty well. We, we'll end up doing this every week from now That's on. Fun. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, good way to keep people apprised of what's going on without them having to, you know, keep an RSS reader or some bullshit going. Sure. Uh, but b- before we get on to our big topics this week, uh, like, like I said, we're going to talk Persona 5 and educational games. We're going to take a quick break uh, and then we'll be right back. episode of Game Freak Decides brought to you by Jeff's butt. It sucks. So. And the letter R. My butt and the letter R. Um, Mike, 
Oh, you're keeping that. Uh, that's going to be in the show. All right. Yeah, that's going to be in the show. Why not? And <laughs> Fantastic. Then, yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's actually, that's those great. are the sponsors this week. So, I mean, oh, what else are we going to do? <laughs> uh, Mike, what what does games we do? We do uh, we we write about stuff, but we also have events, right? You're gonna be yeah, um, we have events. You're gonna be in Berkeley in a few weeks, I believe like, so. Yeah, I think yes. I'm gonna be there. I would I would like to go. I'm gonna have a human child all, all by myself, so I'm probably not if gonna I make that excuse. Excuse is gonna be is getting real oh, old. Yeah, still working for me. <laughs> getting real, getting real old. I'm so sleepy. Um, yeah, so I want to I want to invite everybody to join the Games Beat staff, minus maybe me. Uh, and some of the industry's most important luminaries on May 1st and May 2nd in Berkeley, California for the Games Beat Summit. Uh, we're going to have some sp- uh, really special speakers like Star Wars Rogue One scribe Gary Witta, Epic CEO Tim Sweeney, and a ton more. Uh, for more information about Games Beat Summit, you could check out VentureBeat.com events. That's VentureBeat.com events. Um, or just tweet at GamesBeat on Twitter and we'll get you the information you need. Let us know. Uh, we'll do whatever it takes to kind of get you guys out there. We want to see you there. Um, except for Mike. Mike's very anti-people, so he doesn't yeah, want to Yeah, if you see me, don't come up to me. Don't say hi. <laughs> I mean... Give me a wide berth. No, that's great. I mean, people are people already feel that way when they see you, so... Yeah, yeah just keep doing what you do, people. <laughs> yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, and we'll see you at GamesBeat in Berkeley May 1st, May 2nd. GamesBeat Summer. Yep. Let's get on to the, the big topics of the week. Um, okay. I think the first one, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this. You really did a good job of explaining Persona 5 last week. Um, that's a lie. You suck. Um, but the review embargo has lapsed, and now you can really tell us how you feel about this video game. It's, I think it's 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 weird, right? Because it's it's not like a Legend of Zelda where you where Breath of the Wild where you can say it's special and also that like everybody's gonna play it and experience it, right? Because Persona is just it's a JRPG and it's like this really kind of it's a very Japanese JRPG, mm-hmm. it, it, you know. And it has kind of these elements that aren't traditional that you know the the, the teenager high school life thing that might throw people off. So you know, it's not going to be this kind of like universal simultaneous gaming experience that Breath of the Wild felt like where everybody was playing it. Everybody had their opinions on it. But Persona 5 is, you know, maybe not quite special, but not much less. It's still this really just super smooth, interesting, fun. And the, the, the best thing is just how slick it is. Just like I think I said in my review, it's slicker than Fonzie after he wrestles a oiled pig or something like that <laughs> right it's just like it's a, the game is just so confident in itself it's just kind of you know it, it just can have fun and just kind of breathe easily right like you know you have that one friend who's just like 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 they don't seem to have the kind of social anxieties you do when you're around mm-hmm. them. you just kind of feel better and they're just kind of having fun and you're having fun it's like persona 5 is that friend as a game that friend is uh his name is alcohol but uh yeah. yes alcohol yes it's like yeah it's like persona 5 is like buzzed all the time it's not like it's not too far where it's embarrassing itself or like getting mad or getting sloppy it's like just perfectly there just always having a good time always knows what to say always knows what to do huh right and yeah so and i gave it a 97 which is definitely one of my higher scores um my highest score has been 98 so i've given out a few 98s i haven't i haven't done the 100 yet like yeah. you i've done two 
Yeah, I've given the the cowards one hundred, the ninety eight. Yeah, ninety eight, definitely. Yeah. But, <laughs> definitely uh, cowards one hundred. And uh, yeah, it's getting reviewed pretty well across the board. And I kind of wonder for someone like you who hasn't mm-hmm. really done much with the series, if, if seeing like the reviews be that high, does that make you curious at all? Yeah, it's still just like because it is. It is a 100-hour JRPG, right? It's not just something you could be like, well, let's see what this is about. Uh, no, it's, it's I'm not going to dabble. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know I really have to kind of give myself to it. Um, but I think the plan is to do that. Uh, cool. early, earlier in the show, we were talking about games I'm trying to get into. I think the idea is, no, I really am looking for that next big game that takes over my life. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping Persona 5 is it. Um, again, I wish I could play it on a portable, portable device. Yeah. But I'm thinking maybe I might try to... Uh, do a remote play on a Vita just in my house, see if that works. Um, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'll, I'll give that a shot and see how that goes. Uh, but if I have to, I'll play it on the TV and really, really get into it. Um, yeah, I think what you said, the scores and seeing how many people love it as much as they do, especially after having such high hopes after Persona 3 and 4, because I know a lot of people really love those games. And if Persona 5 is still keeping that momentum... At this point, I'm like, okay, it's doing something special, and I'm just going to jump into five and see what it is and try to experience yeah. it for myself. And if it's that not for me, thing. I'll live. Sure. Like, yeah, Persona 4, you know, that got pretty big praise, and that came out uh, 2008, a while ago, or 2008 in Japan, at least. Two, right. Now, 2008 in America, too. Never mind. So it came out a while ago, and since then, you know, it's been kind of one of those building buzz things where now. Right. You know, people are, people probably get like you know have better thoughts of it now than even when it launched. You know, people are always mm-hmm. talking about it as one of the best JRPGs of all time. So it's kind of a difficult thing for Persona Five to come into and you know have a lot of people say, "Oh, this is actually even better. This is the best one." Yeah, it's impressive, exactly. and I think it's actually and it's the best one I think for somebody like a new person to get into. Like, and it's, yeah, that's it's because again, it, it you know all these games kind of stand alone. They, they don't have like. You, know, you don't need to know what happened in Persona 3 or 4 or anything like that. It's, you know, it's still a, a, a slow game, right? Like, intentionally, that's what it is. But it starts faster than Persona 4 or 3 does. You you kind of get going a bit quicker. Yeah, and I think I'm okay with it establishing a pace as long as that, that beginning part is uh, does get me into the action relatively quickly. And if that's the relatively. case... Um, but Yeah, I, I understand what I'm in for. Like, I, I know... What kind of game? What a kind of uh, game Persona Five is, and what JRPGs are. Um, so I'm willing to have some patience. I'm not going to be like, "Ooh, this isn't immediately the you know Action Fest 2017," uh, and you know give up. Um, but you know, at the same time, I'm, I am going to need it to to give like reward me for spending time with it relatively relatively quickly. And it does sound like it does that enough, and it you know respects your time, and you know that's all I ask for. So. So I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm going to have to pick it up this weekend um, and really give it a go. Sounds good. So, yeah. uh, Any other final thoughts on Persona 5 before we kind of maybe put that game to bed until I start playing it? No, it's great. It's uh, fantastic. If you liked these games before, there's no reason not to get it. And I think if you're curious about it, you should check it out. Actually, before we move on, is this the last game of of the, the insane start of 2017? Or is there anything else coming up before summer? What? Yeah, like what? Because this was, I was always thinking, yeah. like, what's the next game coming out? Uh, you know what? And it was Persona 5. Yeah, now I'm curious. Major 2017. I know. We have, we oh, you have, have a whole calendar, don't you? Yeah, we, have, have, we one. have one on our, like, they, I think Jason actually made this one uh, this year, but it's on our gamesbeat.com. Let's check it out. Oh, wait, I can't. I'm on the school Wi Fi. <laughs> gamesbeat.com is blocked. Oh, God. They, 
What they they block our calendar? That's funny. No, they block right. the entire site. I mean, Twitter's blocked. Well, Everything's blocked. Right. I'm like, I'm all happy right. Cast just works, so we can make this damn show. So I'm on here. Uh, all right, yeah. Tell me what's coming. Well, ukulele April 11th. Right. Uh, I, you know, and I'm, I, like a lot I, of like, there's like a lot of curiosities, like the full throttle remasters on the okay. 18th. All right. So n- nothing of the the, the Uber calendar caliber that we've been dealing with all all year so far, but mm, some stuff that's no, at least going to get some attention. In fact, like May looks unusually quiet, especially compared to last year. Okay, well, I'm okay with that for real. It's time to catch up on some games. Like, I want to play, like, there's Neo and Resident Evil 7, and I want to play that in VR uh, and Nier. Uh, but there's, like, a bunch of other games, like, that, like, of, that I can't even remember, like, that are just, like, not even in my head that I'm like, I want to go back and I have to, like, look up to play. So that'll be a good time to catch up and maybe pursue. Yeah, I mean, you got Mario Kart at some point this month, but you know, yeah, Mar- yeah. Uh, Splatoon, it's a lot guess, of like, you know what? Splatoon two is coming out this summer. That's probably one of the bigger ones. Some point this summer. Yeah. That's probably, yeah. So yeah, it seems like it's slowing down a little bit now. Okay. So yeah. So persona five might've just capped that off. And that seems like a pretty good one to cap it off with. You know, you, yeah. you start with some big so games. Five will probably keep you busy till fall. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> really? It'll be a nice, Nice game to play all summer. If I get into that rhythm, that'll that'll really get me through it. Okay, uh, moving on to the next topic. So like I said, I'm at a school right now. I'm in my wife's first grade classroom. Um, She's not in first grade. She teaches first grade, just to be super clear. Um, And I wanted to talk to you, Mike, about educational games, edutainment, uh, and maybe sort the five best educational games of all time, or at least maybe just talk about some of the big ones and see what we come up with. Um, and I, I guess for the, for the, for the, maybe to define this topic, I would maybe start with a game uh, instead of trying to define it in any specific way. Um, I'll just say like the Oregon trail, uh, I think is oh. the kind of, kind of game I'm thinking of and the kind of game that would almost in, invariably end up on a list of the best educational games of all time. Um, that game, that game is older than I even than I even realized. Uh, apparently, it was like 1971, 1970, and wow, yeah, it's like really? it's like before, like it's before like the idea of video games almost, um, where it was just built as like this uh, this thing you did on a computer where people where people weren't like spending a lot of times with personal computers because they didn't even really exist. And instead people were playing these at colleges. And that's one of the reasons like it ended up on like every single educational computer in every school and every, you know, elementary school in the country and stuff like that. And, you know, that's where I ended up playing it on like a Mac in like second or third grade in computer lab. Um, and it just, to me, it kind of defines this, this genre, if that's what it is, if edutainment is a genre. Um, and, it, and I kind of don't think it's also very unique. It's like a singular kind of experience where you're know, you taking your family across the land and the, the thing it's teaching you is just how hard this thing was, I guess. Like, is that what we were supposed to learn from this game? Like, do you even like when you think of the Oregon Trail, do you think about learning? Do you think you're being educated? Um, not directly. You're right. It's almost kind of like an Epcot experience. Like, yeah. like it's kind of fun. It's yeah, but it, it kind of does give you a little bit of an appreciation. Like you read in a textbook, oh, these people got on a wagon and went somewhere. And even when you simulate it just a little bit in a game, you kind of get some understanding of how that might have been, you know, a difficult thing. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, I mean, all the diseases people would die from dysentery, um, and and just how like you died from dysentery became a meme uh, of its own uh, because everyone experienced that because everyone played Oregon Trail growing up. And then you like, I mean, 
you're right. It's like almost like a secondary, uh, secondhand way of learning. And then you, you put two and two together. You're like, oh no. So people were like really dying, trying to just trying to get across the country. And it took months and you had to manage all of these things just to ensure that you and your wife and your child, uh, your children would all survive. Um, and that like, it didn't click for me until like later in life when I was also learning about pioneers and things like that in high school, um, where I, where Oregon trails lessons really came home and hit me. So it, it's, it's a very odd sort of educational game. Uh, but it, it is the one I think of first. Now, did you play Oregon trail two? I didn't, I've, I've oh, heard oh. of it, but I've never even touched it. I loved Oregon trail two. Cause this is the one that came out in 1995. So it was like, you can get it for windows 95 and, it, it was basically the same thing, but like it had like a full motion video and like full motion pictures. From oh, the man, it was like a little bit more. This. It was like a little bit more complicated. Like you had more player choices. Like when you went to a town, you were like walking around a fort city. I loved Oregon Trail too because it's just like the same thing. It looked a little better, a little bit more immersive. Like you know, you know, it wasn't like DOS graphics. Like I like when I I'm imagine I, I know he's not in it but I'm imagining like Tim Curry in these FMV bad FMV videos like he's uh like when he's in Command and Conquer oh, yeah. and stuff like that um I I yeah Oregon Trail uh, I'll I'll play that every once in a while again too it's uh, it's, it's weird because they've made more right like there's a fifth edition yeah I mean I think it just year. yeah they just keep making it over like and over the, the Facebook version which who knows God <laughs> yeah of course yeah and I'm sure there's uh, stuff on the phone and stuff like that. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Um, now here, I have a question for you. Do you consider something like Mavis Beacon teaches typing to be a video game? Sure. Uh, yeah. Cause you, you know, you're like typing and there's like games. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, the yeah. piano game and the other ones. Yeah. The, the game of fine learning. Right. Like, but here's yeah. the thing. If that's a game, the, the, an edutainment game, the typing of the dead definitely is yeah, better. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's where like, I wish more of these, um, these ideas from edutainment would end up where it's like, let's just take it and then get real wild with it. And I don't know if people, people might not know what typing of the dead is. Uh, if you've ever seen a house of the dead shooting arcade game, like in the back of a dingy movie theater, typing of the dead is just those games. Like literally exactly the same thing as like house of the dead one or two. Uh, but instead of shooting at the screen with a light gun, you are typing the words above the zombie's head using a keyboard. Um, that's one of the best all time drinking games I think I've ever played. <laughs> where like people would pass the keyboard back and forth and then like you go until you die and you have to drink uh, like after you die and uh, you just keep going back and forth until you're sloshed and then it gets really difficult because typing while you're wasted is, is it's hard. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like that game a lot. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, of the, the, there's some other stuff in like that typing genre, but no, not, nothing's as good as typing of the dead. No. Um, I There was also that era of DS games um, where... Nintendo was trying to appeal to adults in both America and Japan. Uh, and I forget what they called it, like touch generation, the touch generation. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, yeah, it's along like that. Yeah. And it was uh, brain age was the big one that they sort of came out with. And, it, and this is a weird thing where it's not even really educational games. It was brain exercises was how they marketed it. And they, it was, they had a doctor come out and say, Oh, you need to get the blood flowing to these parts of your brain to keep yourself younger. And I remember like research coming out a few years later saying, no, this is all bullshit. <laughs> like it doesn't, <laughs> make your, doesn't do anything for your brain. Um, and yeah, I, I did find those games very fun, especially brain age, just trying to uh, challenge myself with like doing math really fast, just yeah. basic math. I, I like those a lot. Yeah. And those yeah, sold really I, well. Yeah. It's so real. I do not like math. Doing math is like stressful and a cause yes. of anxiety for me. Yeah. So 
Uh, that was I like the Sudoku. Yes, the, the Sudoku was very good in there. I think it was one of those games that really helped popularize Sudoku, actually, um, because uh, that, that was when it was becoming popular anyhow, and then putting it into this uh, you know, DS cartridge kind of took it to the next level, I think. Uh, there was a bunch of other touch generation games like Big Brain Academy um, and, and things like that. But now, now that genre lives on as neurology. I, I'm trying to think if there's a website now. Um, that like advertises itself as brain games. And you, like, I always hear them advertising on NPR um, and like their subscription services and Brendan Mar Brandon Marshall, the wide receiver for the New York giants, like always does these things and talks about them. And I'm just like, Oh man. So that, that whole entire science that Nintendo started and has been proven as garbage is now this huge billion dollar industry. So Way to go, Nintendo. Look what you've yes. done. If like I'd rather just play like Professor Layton, and I don't even know if that's an edutainment game, but it's a similar enough thing where you're basically solving these like riddles and kind of right. math things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that's more of a game to me, and there's like a narrative and characters and like this pleasant art style, and you know, I'd rather do that. And I yeah, I think that's the um the path I took as well from uh, Brain Age and Big Brain Academy. I sort of was like, okay, I'm not going to play those games anymore, but I will go play some Professor Late. Pro but Professor even Late. Professor Late, and like, there's like seven of them. I'm like, okay. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I didn't keep up with every single one, but I've played like three. I or played four. for a while. I played four of them, and I was like, oh. yeah, like yeah, four or five. I was like, all right, that's enough. Um, I think the other big educational game that I remember, especially from school on you know Apple computers, was Math Blaster. Did you say, ever play you this one? Talk about Math Blaster. Yeah, this was a. This is this is a game straight up where it was just like you're doing math problems and there was like game stuff happening happening around you, um, and I I really liked Math Blasters, um, but it's one of those games where I never ever played that outside of school. I played it in school and I have not touched it since. Um, yeah, that was something when you played more in school. I might have had one because there was like they, they tried to do it for like other genres, right? Like there's Science Blaster and like these yeah, there's like things. the Blaster Educational Company is what it's called. <laughs> yeah, which I think uh, is a pretty dope name. I remember very recently they tried. Re I wrote they were trying to reboot Math Blaster for like Facebook or something. I don't think it really took off, obviously. No, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was always a fun thing. He's a he's a pleasant little character, right? He was kind of like Mega Man's lame little brother who likes math. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, the uh, the brainiac of the family no one likes because Mega Man like plays on the football team or whatever. Um, I, I actually – my favorite thing about Math Blasters is the game that it inspired the most, which is Frog Fractions. Have you ever played Frog Fractions? Frog Fractions sounds super familiar. Okay, so Frog Fractions is not really an educational game. I almost hesitate, like, since you haven't played it, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, just, it's a website, frogfractions.com, I think, or just Google Frog Fractions after the show and play it because it is um, maybe a meditation on different genres of video games. And it starts out with the ruse of being this game about math and fractions and turns into something very different. And it's a wild ride. Oh, that's uh, cool. And it, it ended up uh, catching on with a lot of people. To the point where the developer uh, kickstarted a sequel, Frag Fraction, Frag Fractions, uh, Frog Fractions Two, that he told everyone, "I'm going to release it. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to release it. I'm not going to name it Frog Fractions Two, uh, and I'm just going to put it out in the wild, and you're going to have to find it yourselves." And it took years, and he had this huge ARG going and stuff like that, and it all just started, you know, based on this weird joke about about Math Blaster type of games. Um, and yeah, that's so, so. I owe a lot to Math Blasters because I I really love Frog Corrections. Um, 
But yeah, well, what about you? Any other games? So do you remember, this is also from The Learning Company. It, it's like no way to describe this series. If I just say what the series was called, I don't I don't even know what you would call it. I think it was like, what's, what's the official word here? The Super Solver series or the Super Seeker series. It's all the games with just like that guy. It's always like a picture of his back and he's like, the games are Treasure Cove and Treasure Galaxy and Treasure Mountain. And it was just like, they were like adventure, like 2D adventure games, but like the people would ask you math problems and like huh. stuff like that and reading comprehension things. I've, I've heard, heard of these games, but I never played them and I never knew what right. they were. Yeah, Treasure Cove was the one I always remember. It's just like you're just like a scuba diver. You're going left and right, like picking up fish and looking for treasure, like plugging up an oil spill or something. And like you're just talking to people and they have you solve basic math problems. It's like King's Quest, a little bit better than that style of graphics. Huh. Uh, I don't know why. I always liked these games for whatever reason. They weren't they, all they didn't that stress educational, you out. really. No, they did not. They were pretty easy. This okay. was kind of they were kind of nice because it's like walk. It's like the same reason I like adventure games. I'm just walking around, right, talking to things. Speaking of adventure games, God, I need to play Thimbleweed Park. That looks so good. Yeah, that looks really good. Um, Probably no math. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, gosh, do you remember? Yeah, these weren't really. There's, I loved in like the early CD-ROM days of PC. I had a okay, lot of these so kind I, of games. I was right? literally going to bring this up. Don't you feel like there's a, like a weird lineage between those games and educational games? Like I'm thinking of like right. Sherlock Holmes, like the early FMV or Sherlock Holmes games. To me, it feels like there is a. It owes a lot to those educational mech games that I played in school. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, what, like, I mean, what games were you going to bring up? Well, the, like a big one we haven't really talked about is Carmen Sandiego, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of teaching you about geography and some history and stuff like that, and that was pretty neat. And again, it was, and it was a very well disguised one as far as it goes. Right. It was they like, did a good you need job to learn stuff. You want to beat the game? Yeah. Um, but just like I just weird things. Like I liked Magic School Bus, right? And there were like all these like Magic School Bus games. They were very educational it's just like it was just like the cartoon and it was like animated sometimes so the people would talk to you and it was literally just things like all right you're on a spaceship go look at all the different plants we're going to teach you about them we're like all right we're going to go in the human body let's learn about anatomy like the one taught me a lot about rocks and stuff like that and again they were barely games even almost but they're just kind of these interactive lessons but they were just way more interesting than being in a classroom so that makes me wonder the future of educational that's, games that's the weird thing is that it, it, it there hasn't been much of a future yet, no, right? I mean, there's not like, been a present yeah. for sure. Like you have things like Leapfrog and what they're doing. They have a lot of like early development kind of thingy. Mm -hmm. But it seems like I, I guess part of it is just like what's available to kids, right? Like, like let's be honest, we were playing so much Oregon Trail because we were in a study hall class on these old computers and they only had Oregon Trail. As much as exactly. we liked it, would yeah. we would we have played it if Doom was on that computer also? Uh, you know, probably. I mean, this is I mean, for, for me. I mean, uh, when I was playing, it was bef well before the internet was on most of these computers. So, mm -hmm, like, exactly. I, like even, even if you could get on the internet, which you couldn't, like, it wasn't there. Like, we didn't have the access to that. Uh, it wasn't even really an, an idea for most people when I was in, you know, elementary school. Um, so, yeah, I, it's so going to be hard to get any kid who has a phone that can play Candy Crush whenever they want to to play something that is, you know. Apparent, like primarily educational and it's like and people are very bad at disguising these things these days right like right. it's always pretty obvious so that, that that makes me think like the educational games we are going to get are going to be the big flashy vr experiences that we are already seeing um so one of the first cool things i did in vr once i got a headset was play the apollo 11 experience now this is a thing where mm -hmm. you sit on your couch 
Uh, it plays a little documentary video about Apollo 11, and then it's like, okay, now they're going to go land the ship. And it puts you in a first-person perspective um, as, you know, you know, Buzz Aldrin and then, um, and, and you know, it, like going to like land the ship or whatever to uh, bring it down on the moon. And you're actually piloting it, and you're looking out the window, and it's, you know, almost a photorealistic moonscape see, that you're going awesome. over. And you're hearing like the same radio frequency, the same radio chatter that they were making back then. And it's like, cause they just took the recordings and put it in there. And it's like this really cool thing. And it gets, it makes me think it's like, kids are going to do that. And like, this is how I'm learning stuff. I'm learning firsthand. And I'm going to go inside the human body. Like you were saying, like I'm pretty sure there's already a couple of anatomy experiences yeah. built for children for VR. And like, you're talking about the magic school bus. And like, I would imagine like trying to tell a kid about like how we learned this stuff with video games. And they're like, yeah, we were doing that in VR today. And I was actually like playing around with a pancreas or whatever in first person. It's like, okay. Yeah. It, it's, so it's like come, we have the technology to do a lot of cool educational games. It's just like, is anybody going to play them? Is there a market for it? That's kind yeah. Of I mean, issue. It, 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 almost, it almost feels like it's going to get like so extreme. Uh, like we're to the point where like, oh no, all kids can just learn in VR. I think there's going to be like, people who think there's going to be like companies that can do that, that replace all teachers with like uh, artificial intelligence, like Watson, IBM, IBM's Watson is going to be a teacher of every child period. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of experiments like that, that go really bad and cost people a lot of money. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's kind of the future of education and games where it's going to be this holistic replacement through VR or augmented reality or whatever. And it's not going to look anything like the little games that we grew up, these little dinky experiences that are kind of humorous to talk about now, just because they were so cheap and silly. Uh, even if we remember them fondly. Yeah, sounds about right. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to wrap it up. I think, you know, we, we don't have to list them, but I, I cause I, I think we just kind of talked about them and there's not really much here to like, Organize. I, I would uh, honestly probably put Oregon Trail at the top, even though I I don't even really love that game. It was just kind of a fun thing that I did. Yeah, yeah, Oregon Trail's at the top. By the way, my dog is literally barking at, at herself in her sleep. It's very funny. That is, that's always good. You gotta you gotta put that in Vine. If Vine yeah, were still right. a thing. Um, okay, Mike, I think it's gonna wrap it up for us. Uh, that was a nice, big, long, juicy episode of the Games yeah, right? Science Podcast. Um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Do you have anything to add before we move on to our little outro here? Uh, you know, just uh, I'm always writing on gazeby.com, so be sure to go there, see what I'm doing, check out that Persona 5 review. I also do the Exploding Barrel podcast with my uh, brother. It's also about video games and some other things, sometimes, you know, a little Disney, a little wrestling, just things we like. So that's at ebpodcast.com. And I am Jeff Grubb Sucks Bad on Twitter, apparently this week. Apparently that's what uh, that's what it yeah. says here on this damn that's run. That's how I felt. You know? <laughs> it's just, you just said that was what's in your heart, Mike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Speaking to me. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I post some stuff on YouTube every once in a while, youtube.com slash Jeffrey Grubb. I think I'm going to start a Zelda run where I am naked the whole time. I never oh, really? close. Yeah, just a headdress, I think. I'm, I can uh, only put on like hats and stuff. Uh, but otherwise, I'm going to have my, my naked boy running around trying to defeat Ganon. Um, I think that's my plan. I'll, I'll see if I can start that soon. Who knows? Uh, but I really want to make more Zelda videos because those have been fun to do and people seem to like them. So, yeah. Okay. And we'll be back next week. Uh, yeah, like I said, Games Beat Summit is coming up next month. So if you guys have any interest in that, VentureBeat.com slash events for more information. Uh, also, just bother Dean Tack. Dean Takahashi on Twitter. Uh, yeah, the Dean Tech, D-E-A-N-T-A-K. If you have any questions about the Games Beat Summit, he's the man to ask. Um, so, yeah, get a hold of him. 
Okay, everybody, thanks for watching, and we'll be back next week. See ya. Bye.